This episode contains descriptions of physical, mental, and emotional abuse, which is a form of domestic violence. If you experience similar situations, or if you know someone who has, it is important that you file a report. It's estimated that more than half of domestic violence cases are never reported. If you suspect that you, or someone you know, has been the victim of mental abuse or domestic violence, you can file an anonymous report with the National Domestic Violence Hotline by visiting thehotline.org or by calling 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233 or visit T-H-E-H-O-T-L-I-N-E-dot-O-R-G. Life-threatening situations should also be reported immediately to your local authorities. Your intervention may help save a life. Now, on with this mess. I just love how absolute opposite he and Marvin are. Like, Marvin would not even be in this room. Aww. He'd be hiding under my bed. Oh, because I was here? Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. I remember Marvin. I remember Marvin skulking in doorways, and then when I looked at him, he would leave. Yep. That's <laughs> Marvin. And meanwhile, Quincy's like, okay. Oh, I have a new <laughs> human? Yay. Is someone else to pet me? Oh, my gosh. Do you have food? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this morning, he drank oat milk. Oh. Did he enjoy it? He seemed to. Are you going to take it away? Is that your plan? <laughs> he bit the stick for a second. <laughs> Mom? <laughs> okay. I'll behave now. No, it's fine. This was fun. I enjoy the cat, too. And this is what we're covering. Most of it's not so fun. Oh. Well, my part, my part was fun. <laughs> my part was not. <laughs> my part was all happy rainbows. <laughs> cool beans <laughs> she deserves it based on my part <laughs> and see here's the fun thing i know nothing about your part okay all right so i told you i was re-watching the biopic what's love got to do with it uh-huh. uh, parts of everything i've seen and remember from it um or from the first part was wildly inaccurate oh well you know how that happens in biopics unfortunately yeah. a lot of the timeline and Bohemian Rhapsody is a prime example of a screwy timeline. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me angry when I watch it best to love it. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. If you're just going through life and all you know about Tina Turner's life is what's love got to do with it, maybe read some of her memoirs, you know? I didn't even realize that what's love got to do with it was the song she sang until today. Fun fact. What? She sings it in that one episode of that show I won't say the name of. No, that's the best. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know the best. Yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Shall we jump right in? Just go. Let's do it. So, Tina Turner. Tina Turner. Was born Anna Mae Bullock. Like anime, like Japanese... Cartoons, are they? No, like Anna. Anna May. May. Okay. I'm okay. oh, sorry. <laughs> Anna May Bullock in Nutbush, Tennessee. Wow. That sounds like an unfortunate place. Sorry if you're from there. 
<laughs> she was born on November 26, 1939. I didn't realize she was that old either. Yeah, she's 80-something. Yeah. I think I want to say 81 now. Well, today when I was doing notes, I was like, she had a kid in like 1958 and she was 18. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's very fashionable. Mm -hmm. um, always has been. And I think all of that makes her seem youthful. Like, if you heard Cher's actual age, you probably... Oh, I know Cher is, like, way older than she. Like, yeah. Yeah, no, I know that. <laughs> I remember when she turned 80, though, and people were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so, Anna Mae's parents were Zelma Priscilla Curry and Floyd Richard Bullock. Her father was in charge of the sharecroppers at Poindexter Farms in uh, Nutbush. She and her two older sisters moved around a bit, sometimes with their parents, sometimes without I heard her parents went to work for the Ministry of Defense, not the Ministry. I was like... The Defense Department. Are they, um, um, uh, wizards? No. <laughs> no. Uh, the Defense Department. Okay. Yeah. In, in World War Two, So they went out to, I think it was like Nashville or Memphis or something, and they stayed behind. Oh, wow. With like their grandparents. They were, how old at that point? I'm sorry. They were very young because when Anna Mae was 11, her mother left for good. Um, oh. Her father was very abusive. But and, her mom um, just left then? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, she moved to St. Louis, which in her, in her, some of her memoirs, Tina Turner said that she never felt very loved. Like, mm -hmm. she was the youngest child of a girl who didn't want another kid. Yeah. That's and, so sad. Yeah. Two years later, their dad remarried and moved to Detroit. So, he left the girls with their grandmother. She had wonderful parents. Yeah. Like, the best. Simply the best! <laughs> Sorry. <It's> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna leave that, aren't you? I am. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have people heard me sing now? Just a couple. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, she stayed with her grandmother, and while they were with her grandmother, which was just a period of, like five years or so, her oldest sister was in a car wreck and died. I don't have her name. Cool. I just remember that happening. Um, but when she was 16, her grandmother died. So Anna Mae and her surviving sister moved in with their mother in St. Louis. This poor girl. I know. It gets worse. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> While in St. Louis, they began going to nightclubs and saw the Rhythm Kings for the first time. And this was Ike Turner's band. Okay. Uh, Anna Mae asked to sing with them several times, but Ike had never had a female singer until in 1957 when she was 18. There was an intermission during the set and Anna Mae grabbed the mic and sang a blues ballad called You Know I Love You. So she just said, I'm going to do it, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, she got it from one of the other band members, and she sang there. A literal self-made woman. Yeah. <laughs> After that, she started singing with the band recording and recorded a few songs under the name Little Anne. I'm I glad can... she changed it. Yeah. And at sorry. That... What? I'm sorry I keep interrupting you. Sorry. What did you say? I'm sorry. I didn't even listen. I said I'm sorry that I kept interrupting you. No, before that. Oh, you said, I'm glad she changed her name. Something oh, like you said that. So, okay. Did you think you said that? No, I thought you, I thought I just heard you say that. I I thought I I know I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what? 
Does catnip affect humans? <laughs> I don't think so. There's some on my- Uh oh, she's- she's inhaled a little bit of the fumes. Oh no. I'm cat high. Cat high. That's what- that's how they conceived of the new Cats movie, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> Ike and Anime were platonic friends at the time. Um, her sister was dating the drummer for the band, and Anime began seeing the saxophonist Raymond Hill. Um, she soon became pregnant. Mm -hmm. Her mother found out, and she moved in with Raymond, who lived with Ike. Okay. Yeah. This is already an adorable love story. Yeah. It gets... <laughs> oh, just wait. Here, here comes the twist. <laughs> you think Ike's going to move in on his girl? What? Do you think Ike's going to move in on his girl while she's pregnant with his child? Yeah. No. Really? No. Raymond broke his ankle in a wrestling match with one of the band members and moved back to his hometown um, before their son Craig was born in 1958. So she was a single mother <laughs> who had basically been left behind because her baby, her baby's father broke his ankle, broke his ankle in a wrestling match. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Come on. <laughs> That's the best excuse you can come up with, sir, for being an absent father. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. So as a single mother, she worked at a hospital for a time to support her son. And um, when she wasn't singing, when she ca carried on singing with uh, the the ryth Rhythm Kings. Uh, but in 1960, Ike Turner... Uh, Ike Turner... <laughs> wrote Fool in Love for a singer named Art Lasseter. He didn't show up to the studio, and since Ike had already paid for the studio time, <laughs> Anna Mae suggested that she sing it. And Ike's like, okay, you sing it, and then we'll cut it as a demo, and I'll yeah. re-record your vocals later. Basically, yeah, sure, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, local disc jockeys got a hold of the record before it would before he could have it re-recorded. And it became a hit, peaking at number two on the R&B charts. Um, so at that point, I'm going to I'm gonna pause that story. And um, Okay. <laughs> until that same year, Ike and Tina had a platonic relationship. and But as Tina said, Ike try, had tried, at least tried, to sleep with every woman in their orbit. Oh, wow. Yeah, and at the time, he had a living girlfriend, other people say wife. Um, named Lorraine, and he had two children with a Lorraine. Tina would stay over at their house occasionally. Anyway, one night Ike had a party, and Tina was supposed to stay over, but someone had mentioned stopping by her room later. Um, and she did not want that, but her room did not have a lock. Oh, nice. Yeah. So she was just going to stay with Ike in his room. Oh. Which apparently they'd done several times and nothing had happened. I just don't <laughs> believe that. I'm sorry, but... Well, according to Tina, this is the night when they crossed the line. Um, and after that, she said it was awkward, but it was easier to keep going with what they were doing than to try to go back to a normal friendship. And that's how she wound up pregnant by Ike. God <laughs> bless this woman. I know. <laughs> when Fool in Love became a hit, uh, and it was clear that Anna Mae needed to be the front woman of the band. Mm -hmm. So, but Ike needed to maintain, he felt he needed to maintain creative and he needed control. Economic of control yeah. of everything. Yeah. So he changed her stage name to Tina. And then he said, and I'm going to make your last stage name Turner. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> oh. And, uh, yeah. 
And when he did that, never mind. I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> so he'd already started emotionally manipulating her. Oh yeah. Um, by saying everyone that he wrote a hit for left him, and he would beg and not to leave him all the time, and she kept saying she wouldn't, but he didn't believe her. <laughs> so this Tina Turner thing was meant to like keep uh keep her in the fold mm-hmm. because he also um trademarked Tina Turner. That way, if she ever left the band, he got to keep the name and just give it to somebody else. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. So, huh, get back to where I was. So, Tina was very naive, she said, but even, because she was like 20 years old at this point. Okay. And she said, I don't want to do that, Ike. And Ike lost it. Um, so, he started verbally abusing her. And then he picked up a wooden shoe stretcher and beat her across the head. Ow. Yeah. And then he basically raped her. Yeah. And she said, um, she said Tina Turner was born that night. Little Anne died. Oh, basically. So yeah, um, yeah. So at that point, he had physical control over her being. Mm-hmm. She was put in a bubble, not unlike what Ronnie Spector was done with Phil Spector, but she only ever went around with Ike. Yeah, he made her feel small all the time. He went a step further, physically abused her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. All right. So. Happy times. So based on the success of Fool in Love, Ike formed the Ike and Tina Turner Review, which featured Tina up front backed by a group of backup singers called the Ikeettes. Wow. (laughs) Tina and the Ikeettes. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Doesn't even sound nice. No, it doesn't. So, um, and after the single was released, the... They had several other successful hits, but none got as uh, high on the charts as Fool in Love. And according to Tina, as Ike's frustration grew, so did his abuse. Yeah. Um, The review played the Chitlin circuit constantly between 1963 and 1965, but eventually their success rivaled that of James Brown's review. And one of and was billed as one of the most hottest, most durable, and potentially most explosive of all R and B ensembles, which is ironic that it would be explosive. <laughs> Not at all. Um, <laughs> and eventually, the group's profitability led them to perform. I thought this was very interesting in front of desegregated audiences in several southern cities. Hey, so go them. Yeah, one golden ray of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> So, sometime after the birth of their son, Ronnie, Ike was having trouble with his ex-wife, Lorraine, um, and Tina remembers that she doesn't remember what exactly it was, but he needed a quick way out, Mm -hmm. and the best way for him to get out was to get married. So, he's like, Tina, let's get married. And um, Tina is like, I knew I didn't want to get married, but we had a son together. I was raising my other son, and Ike had his two sons by Lorraine that we were all raising together. Yeah. Our career was built together and I didn't want it to be beaten again, basically. So she said she went along with it. So they went down to Tijuana uh, where I could get married without a regular license or a blood test. Um, So they went in a room, basically she signed some papers and Uh it was done. 
And she says to this day, she's not even sure if they were legally married or not. But after the marriage, Ike drug Tina to a brothel to see a live show. Cute. Yes. And she was, of course, extremely disgusted by that. Yeah, I'd say. And she couldn't figure out how he enjoyed it either. And she... Obviously, that's not the way you want to spend your wedding. Night. That's like what a great honeymoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's how she knew what the rest of her life was going to be like. Yeah, um, and he was, of course, never faithful. Well, yeah, I would expect as much at any point. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So enough of our focus on their relationship for now, because it's frankly bumming me out. <laughs> and if you want more of the nitty gritty details on that, both Ike and Tina put out memoirs. I bet they take two very different sides. I bet they do, too. Um, yeah, I I think I essentially said, sure, I slapped Tina around, but I never beat her. <laughs> Stuff like that. Sir, you can't slap your walk around anyways. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, anyway, man. Let's move along to the mid-60s now. Um, Tina had made several solo appearances on shows such as American Bandstand, which greatly... Up mm-hmm. her own not- notoriety, apart from Ike, um, but she still didn't understand. She still thought there was no way there could be a Tina Turner without Ike. Right at that point, um, just because of the constant. When you're getting told the same thing every single day, you eventually believe it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going for. Eventually, they started having a regular um, attendee at their shows in Los Angeles, and his name was Phil Spector. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew in my bones. Yeah. In 1965, he saw their show and he wanted produ- to produce Tina specifically, mm. not Ike. But that made somebody very angry. It did. But he paid Ike $20,000 mm-hmm. for the creative control of Tina's single. And he told Tina to come alone to the house. Uh. And of course, Ike said no way at first. Uh-huh. Um, but then the $20,000 like... Money speaks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you can go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but ironically, um, having Phil Spector... It was the Alexa. Having Phil Spector want to produce her alone and then going to the house today because what he had for her to sing was River Deep, Mountain High. Mm-hmm. And what I, I never talked to her about music. Phil Spector did. And Ike would always just want her to scream, basically, all of the lyrics. Phil Spector's like, no, no, I just want you to do the melody right now. And she said River Deep Mountain High taught her how she wanted to sing. Okay. And she thought that was great. Mm-hmm. And she, it was the one thing that, ironically, working with Phil Spector was the thing that showed her that she did have a place in wider society away from Ike. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Very different from what Phil's own life experience. <laughs> you just need a different kind of controlling man. <laughs> uh, yeah. She talked about how he was charming, which Ronnie Spector did too when mm-hmm. she first met him. And he was so down to earth. And she said, I remember him coming down the stairs in his bare feet. And I remember how thinking how white his feet were. <laughs> That's what she said in her memory. Wow. <laughs> okay. Which, you know, we did say he was pasty. Yeah. yeah. It's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I remember most about Phil Spector are his watt feet. Yeah. <laughs> but then she did say she noticed what she didn't notice at first, but then it became clear was how weird Phil Spector was. 
I'm glad she realized eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for Phil, of course, River Deep Mountain High, he thought that was the best thing he'd ever done. Mm-hmm. Because Tina Turner's voice was the only thing that could match the wall of sound on that one. Yeah. And not even, like, the Ronettes or Darlene Love could match it. Those were his two powerhouses in Phil's records at the time. So he was, he was like, this is it. And Ike didn't like it. So Tina's like, subconsciously, I think because I knew Ike wouldn't like it, I wouldn't hold the melody in my head. She couldn't remember it. Um, And, uh, but, you know, he hated the song. But again, Phil Spector had paid $20,000. So and many talks. Yeah. And also for more on the wall of sound, go back to the episode one or two. Yeah. <laughs> to find out why Phil Spector's actually a creep. <laughs> <laughs> there are two episodes on him. <laughs> yeah. So that was the first time also that she got out of the Ike bubble and wasn't surrounded by his people mm-hmm. and around him. The so- the single cleaned up in overseas market. I, th- I think it went to number three in the UK. Okay. Because, of course, the music there was leaning that direction right. anyway. Yeah. Um, but in America, they couldn't get any, any airtime on it, and the DJ said it wasn't black enough to be rhythm and blues or white enough to be pop. Love that. Yeah. So, of course, that tanked, and when it tanked, um, they they had... The I Can Tina Turner Review had signed with Phil's Records, but of course, if you remember back from that mm-hmm. episode, that's what led to the spot, the depression spiral that made Phil retire and mm-hmm. withdraw from society completely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Somebody's going to learn how to put their notes in order. Well, I did put these in order, but I went off book. <laughs> <laughs> and the success of the single, I flipped my phone and then it... <laughs> Back to the top. So great. So it was a big hit in the UK market, and that earned them a spot as the opening artist for a certain young group in the late 60s. Could it be the Rolling Stones? It was the Rolling Stones. (laughs) They opened on their 1966 UK tour alongside groups like the Yardbirds. Oh, we know about them. We do. For more information, go back to episode three, Led Zeppelin. Nice. (laughs) And Tina said, if River Deep Mountain High introduced me to the way I wanted to sing, our first trip to London showed me just exactly how I wanted to live. And Tina backstage, she had a million jobs to do because, you know, she was raising Ike's children Mm -hmm. and Ike had a bunch of... Would you hold your phone? Can you not turn it off to where it doesn't flip? Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. Okay. (laughs) Quincy's somewhere passed out, I think. Nice. (laughs) So, but she and the iCats did have time to pull a certain young rock and roll roller aside and show him a few dance moves. Who would that be, Hannah? He has, he's famous for his moves. Because he has the moves like Jagger. Because he is Mick Jagger. Ah! <laughs> and Tina in her book says she that um, Mick Jagger says his mother taught him how to dance. Mm-hmm. And she says, but we both know the truth. Oh, that's shady. <laughs> oh. In the next year, 1967, Tina became the first female and black artist on the cover of Rolling Stone. Well, look at her. I know. 
<laughs> it's usually it's the first black female artist, but she, in this case, she was the, the first. female and <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's interesting. That is interesting. Good for her. Yeah. Obviously, the Turners needed a new record label at that time. Um, but with Phil in. A Can you say that again? Because I zoned out for just a second. I'm really sorry. I said the Turners needed a new record label. Okay, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it goes sometimes. Yes. So they signed with Blue Thumb Records, and in early 1971, they released their biggest hit ever. And do you want to know what Ike wrote? What? That was their hit? Nothing. It was a cover, <laughs> Proud Mary, by CCR. <laughs> Just a little extra shade for Ike. I like that. He's dead, but you know. Phil Spector's dead now. We shouldn't have said it. I missed Phil that. Spector's dead. You missed that? Yeah. He died a couple weeks ago. COVID. Did not see that. I don't pay attention to things. Yeah, I know. Anyway. <laughs> if it's not Brian May, I, I, I'm not paying that much attention. Yeah. We all know the truth. This was on the, the real news. Yeah, see, I don't watch the real news because it makes me sad. Well, I didn't get it from the real news. I just saw it later. I got it from Ronnie Spector's Instagram. Oh, well, see, there you go. <laughs> she said, I feel a lot of things today. I bet she did. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Is that why, like, I saw a bunch of Phil Spector things happening. I didn't yeah. ever see death. <laughs> yeah, I think that's when the podcast started picking up. Oh! Yeah. Like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, why do we care? <laughs> I think that's when. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Because, like, those are the most listened to episodes now, aren't they? They are, yeah. Um, ironically, the first episode has more views, listens than the second. It's got 21. And if you look back... The next one after that is Kate Bush. Yes. <laughs> but the thing is, like, the week... I didn't even know this was happening, but the week or two after we released that episode, she released a new album. <laughs> what is this? Surprise! What is happening? I had no idea that was going on. Fantastic. Anyway. So, again, people are like, who is this chick? <laughs> well, all of those listeners were in the UK, so I'm thinking oh, a lot of people yeah. probably already knew Kate Bush yeah. and then yeah. went on a Kate Bush journey. We've all been there. You haven't. No, we've all been on a, a specific artist. Oh, journey, okay. <laughs> is what I mean. And they're not always appreciated by your other friends. Oh, no, they're not. <laughs> and when you do a joint episode about that artist, it will become apparent who is, who is and who is not a fan. It's true. Led Zeppelin. <laughs> the Sweet. Uh, yeah. Still our worst performing episode. Is it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I think it's got less than eight. <laughs> That's legitimately if somebody's scrolling through, like, who even? <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. And Steve Priest died, so we've only got one more person from the suite left oh. <laughs> to bank on. Oh, oh cut that, Hannah. <laughs> Where was I? I don't know. Literally, what was happening? Um, they were in England. There was a new record label, Proud Mary. <laughs> yes, Proud Mary, which is uh, the most famous song they did. By far. I don't even know how it goes. Left a good job in the city, working for the man every night and day. But I never lost one minute of sleep. Worried about the way things might have been. Big wheel, keep on turning. Oh, that's that one? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's Proud Mary. Didn't know it had a real name. CCR, but made famous by the guy oh, okay. in Tina Turner Review. 
1972, Icantina opened Bolix Sounding. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's B O L I C. I'm sorry if I'm from the South. You just have to say it with confidence sometimes. Bolick Sound Recording Studio. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Bolick. <laughs> yeah. And around this time, Tina began writing more songs herself. In fact, nine of the ten songs on the 19th album Feel Good were hers. She also wrote the 1973 hit Nutbush City Limits. Nutbush City Limits. <laughs> Which charted at number 22 on the pop market and number 11 on the R&B market. So, crossover. Yeah. In a racially charged time mm-hmm. still. Which this is a few years after, like... It's wh- still very charged, yeah. especially in the South. Yeah. Uh, desegregation is still happening in the South at that point. <sighs> Gosh. They would drag their feet as long as they possibly could. Absolutely. Call in the National Guard. <laughs> In 1974, they started working in other genres. They released The Gospel According to I Cantina. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> which was nominated for a Grammy for the Best Soul Gospel Performance. Ike was specifically nominated um, for the Best Male Solo for Father Alone. As we, as you mentioned when we were off camera, she is now a Baptist Buddhist. Yes. Um, which, you know... Buddhism can be taken as a religion or not. Yeah, and like from what I saw, she basically, it's because she was raised Baptist. Yeah. And so she still has like that core, I guess, Value. belief system, yeah. but then like shuts yeah. the peacefulness of Buddhism. Yeah, because, you know, <laughs> Buddhism, technically anybody could be a Buddhist. Yeah. In addition to. Yeah. Just have um, to be chill. <laughs> but yeah, she became a Buddhist in like. Well, this was all still going on with Ike. Okay. I didn't write down when exactly, but um, she credits the mantras that she would chant with helping her through a lot of dark times. Yeah. Um, Helped her find an inner peace. Yeah. So, 1974, <laughs> Ike went gospel for some reason. Well, because there's money. That's probably it. <laughs> Tina released her first solo album, Tina Turns the Country On. Which okay. Is- gospel? <laughs> Tina turns the country on. Similar. I'm assuming had a lot of country influences. Um, Huh? I thought it just meant like the country, like as in. I'm sure there's a, there's probably a double entendre. Entendre? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) That makes sense, too. I almost said double in transit, but that was wrong. We're all in (laughs) transit to something. (laughs) Good or bad. Okay. Um, and her <laughs> sorry <laughs> I was having to really concentrate on what I was reading we're doing really good tonight both of us <laughs> um, so her solo album earned her a Grammy nomination for best R&B vocal performance female in 1974 she also made a critically acclaimed appearance in a little film called Tommy which will come out the next year the gypsy acid queen <laughs> yes <laughs> loves Yes. It also inspired her second solo album, Acid Queen, <laughs> in which she covered Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. No one can do it like Led Zeppelin. Sorry, <laughs> Tina. Have you listened to it by Led Zeppelin? I have. And it's their, uh, it's one of it's their one songs I enjoy. Hits. Yeah, it's one of their huge hits. Yeah, but I bet Tina's is good, too. I'm not I'm not going to say it. it's not good. I'm just going to say Led Zeppelin did it better. Well, <laughs> to be fair, you don't really... You're not really a fan of Tina Turner. I don't care for Tina Turner, you're right. 
I like the Gypsy Acid Queen, and I like the best. And apparently Proud Mary's okay, but I'm not going to listen to it, like, in my free time. <laughs> Look, I tried to listen to the This Is Tina Turner playlist on Spotify today to, like, that way I'd know the sound and stuff. I just, I was like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like the dance pop stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> and so that's not her fault. I mean, that's just her style. Yeah. Not for me. <laughs> On July 1st, 1976, Ike and Tina were on the way to the Dallas Stalter hit, hit oh, Dallas Stat Statler, the, the Hilton in Dallas. Okay. <laughs> when they got into a uh, physical fight on the way. Once they arrived at the hotel, Tina ran from Ike and hid at a friend's house. Um, the pair were divorced on March 29th, 1978. And Tina had originally asked for a couple thousand dollars a month in... Sorry. Sorry. That was my fault. Okay. She asked for a couple thousand dollars a month. A couple thousand dollars a month in alimony and a few other things. Um, in the final divorce decree, Tina took responsibility for the missed concert dates, as well as an IRS lien. Tina retained songwriter royalties for songs she had written, but I got the publishing royalties for his compositions and hers. So, I'm sorry, they got a divorce in what year? Um, 1978. They separated in 1976. Okay. I was like, because my notes are going to be different. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but she got away from him in 1976. Okay. But it took it took more than 12 months, I think, for the divorce yeah, to come through. And um, did she keep all four of the kids? Is that how that went down? Um, it doesn't say in this. <laughs> okay, I thought I, saw, I just thought I saw that I did not write it down. I just thought something about how she had custody of all four. <laughs> I, well, at one point she definitely did, but um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you. that's fine. <laughs> anyway, I got the publishing royalties for both his compositions and hers. Um, so he still got money for songs that she had written on her own. Of course, of course, of course. Um, she also kept. Her two Jaguar cars, furs and jewelry, and the most important thing, her stage name. Hey. Which had been trademarked by Ike. Yeah. So he could use it with a different singer. Right. But she was the only Tina Turner. Imagine just like, this is the new Tina Turner. How do you even do that? I bet Ike would have tried it. Ah, I'm Tina. Tim up there in a wig and a little dress. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But you know he's not going to shave his legs because, you know, it's the 70s and he couldn't do that. Well, even Tim Curry wasn't doing it in the 70s, was he? I'm just saying that like, he's trying to be Tina Turner on stage with hairy legs, a short dress, and a wig. <laughs> Imagine. A five o'clock shadow. Mm. <laughs> uh. <sighs> Disturbing. So, yeah. Several promoters had lost money and sued to recoup their losses. For almost two years, Tina worked um, to repay off her debts after receiving, you know, what she got from the divorce. Mm -hmm. And she lived on food stamps at the time. Goodness. Yeah. One of her first appearances after I have you talk. Do you talk about Cher? Um, her being on the Sunny and Cher show? Yeah. I literally just say she was on the Sunny and Cher show. Okay. So Literally, I got This was the Share Variety show without oh, okay. Sunny because she said in her memoir, she thought Share and she surprised each other 
when they saw her because Cher saw the polished Tina Turner. Yeah. And Tina saw how well Cher was doing without Sonny mm-hmm. because this is right after their divorce had come through. And she said, really, our stories were very similar. Yeah. Um, because we were both like, um, we, neither of us knew how to write a check. Everybody else, someone always did everything else for us. Mm-hmm. And she said it was interesting because we lived in a time when most women aren't, uh, that didn't have access to the household final or the household finances. Mm-hmm. But in our cases, we were making mega bucks and we didn't have access to our own income. Yeah. So that she saw a lot of um, herself. Yeah. In share. So that's all of the Ike Turner years. Hey. hey. Okay. So at one point though, I saw where he was incarcerated. Yeah. Do you know why? I think I do. Because I, I don't. I'm, I'm legitimately asking. Well, I didn't put this in the notes, but Ike was a heavy cocaine user. So okay. that might have had something to do with it. Okay. I just figured we should leave Ike behind now. <laughs> yeah. Move on. Because yeah. like, I mentioned him one time. I just didn't want to pull up a whole discussion about it then. Yeah. Okay. Um, like even at his funeral, is that what you mentioned in your notes? Um, when he died, Tina released a statement saying, Tina has not been in contact with Ike for 30 years. This will be her only statement. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, mine's about like, um, an award acceptance and he was incarcerated. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, other than that, we talked about how Phil Spector bashed Tina Turner at Ike's funeral. Oh yeah, because yeah. three there were three other girls up there behind Ike that could have been Tina Turner. Gosh, I mean legally yes, but, but no. Sure. <laughs> so I'm picking up in 1976 and 77. In the happy time, well, so, not quite the happy times yet. Getting but. there though. <laughs> um, so like you know, like you said, her early solo career, like just her is starting up, and um, so. At that point, she was earning income by TV, appearing on different TV shows, Mm -hmm. like Cher, and the Donnie and Marie show, and the Brady Bunch Hour. Doesn't that sound thrilling, the Brady Bunch Hour? Yeah. Ooh. All those sound exactly the same. They probably were. They were the 70s equivalent of reality TV. Oh, I see. I'm, I was thinking like they were just a little variety show of some kind. Like, you know, yeah. you have a little talk show portion. Well, I mean, and then... I mean, they were as ubiquitous in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Okay. Reality okay. television. I don't think yeah. any of those were real. <laughs> no. Uh, do you know, do you want to know, this is a little off the subject, but do you want to know what I thought of today? What do you think of today? Grey Gardens was basically reality television before yes, reality television. It was 100%. Like, I can see the Kardashians do doing a Grey Gray garden style um, oh, gosh. offshoot like 20 years from now. Well, you know, um, Kardashians is coming to an end and apparently they are all regretting that decision. So I'd say probably a year. They realized that nobody had a real job. Yeah. And like, other than like, no one cares about you when you're not doing your show. No. Well, we can't see how messy you are. I didn't mean to talk about the Kardashians. We can get back on it. It happens. Um, but as lawsuits were mounting because of the canceled shows, um, she decided to resume touring to Mm -hmm. help pay off her debt. Um, and so she was, okay, so she was um, financed for her tour because, like you said, she's on food stamps. She clearly didn't have the money for it yeah. um, by United Artists executive producer Mike Stewart. I'm guessing that was a label. Um, but in 1977, Tina reemerged with a sexier image and costumes created by Rob Mackey, Bob Mackey. <laughs> I read that as an arm. 
<laughs> Who's Bob Mackie? Um, her costume designer. Oh, you said like I should know that. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> I, I know I've heard the name. I don't know who he is, though, other oh. than her costume designer. But at that point, she was just headlining um, cabaret shows at Caesars Palace and a few other smaller venues throughout the U.S. But later that year, she got to embark on her first solo tour of Australia. Woo! <laughs> you know you've made it when you get to Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've made it to Australia. <laughs> Congratulations. Try not to die. Because <laughs> everything there wants to kill you. Yeah. It's like America, but... If America were Jumanji and it was level two. <laughs> We've been in Jumanji for the past year. <laughs> but after two of her albums filled the chart, she parted ways with her label. It is her label, United Artists. Oh, and cool. <laughs> she began her second tour as a solo artist. So, I mean, nice. you know, two failed albums. That's when I go on tour, too. Yeah. That's that's the goal right there. There's no option to not, not make money at this point. That's true. She has no retirement. She's like, I just need to pay off the debt. Come on. <laughs> People talk about the longevity of her career. She literally didn't have any retirement savings. She had to keep going. Yeah. Valid. Same thing probably with Cher. Yeah. Unfortunate. It is unfortunate. But they're fodders. Yeah. Um, but in 1979, Roger Davies agreed to manage her career. And again, I'm not really sure who that is, but they made it seem like a big deal when I was reading about it. And he, sound, he sounds familiar. Well, we've talked about Dave Davies and his brother. It's not him. This guy's from Australia. Okay. <laughs> I well, looked into that. I was like, is this one of the Davies? Did, did she meet him in Australia? <laughs> yeah, he saw, her, uh, um, saw a show of hers oh, okay. in Australia. Um, but so later that year, she, Tina made the decision, not the best one, one could say, but she decided to go on a five week tour of South Africa. And that was when the apartheid, apartheid. regime was in power. Yeah. 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 Um, but she did later say she regretted her decision. Um, yeah. she said that it was naive or that she was naive about the politics in South Africa at the time. Mm -hmm. So at least she, you know, that's her favorite, I think, adjective for herself is naive. <laughs> she said that a lot. I'm a very naive, or I was very naive. Yeah. <laughs> so it took until 1983, um, for her to finally not just be seen as a nostalgia act. Yeah. Um, and so up until then she performed pretty much only at hotel ballrooms and small clubs. Um, and so it was during her second stint at the Ritz, ooh, ooh. um, when she was signed by Capitol Records in 1983. In November of that year, she released her cover of Al Green's Let's Stay Together, and it became a hit. It reached several European charts, including number six in the UK, and it peaked at 26 on the Billboard Hot 100. It's pretty good. Yeah. She's finally getting it. Yeah. Um, but following... That single success, Capitol Records greenlighted or greenlit, greenlighted. How would you say that? Greenlit, greenlit. Okay. So, <laughs> following the single success, Capitol Records greenlit a studio album, and she had two weeks to record her private dancer album, which was released in May of '84. Um, it became an outstanding commercial success. It peaked at number three on the Billboard 200 and number two in the UK. And on September 1st of '84. Um, she achieved her first and only number one on the Billboard Hot 100 with What's Love Got to Do With It. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. Oh, also, um, just so it's noted, we now have Quincy's puppy in here. 
Because they get along outstandingly well. Yeah. And he's trying to find them to put him in a headlock. It's fine. Okay. So, oh, and that's the song that would propel her to win three Grammys, including Record of the Year. Yeah. So, that was a big year for her. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was It was really time to shine. We you about to say them? I wonder how many number one hits I had without Tina. Is it zero? It, I think it is. Okay. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> the way you said it was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Tina's success continued when she traveled to Australia again. Ooh. <laughs> they love some Tina Turner in Australia. <laughs> well, this time she was going to star opposite Mel Gibson. Mm. In the 1985 post-apocalyptic oh, film, oh, oh, oh. Mad Max. <laughs> she, she was in Mad Max? Beyond the Thunderdome. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't get to finish that before <laughs> that happened. I'm sorry. There's a cat and a dog chasing each other. He's chewing on your backpack. It's okay. He chewed the pom-pom off him. Stalker, you sure it's okay? <laughs> you're, sucking, you're too... You're being so energetic. What's happening? Hey! Okay, so... We're in 1985, and Tina has just starred in the in Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. Um, so she actually received the NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Actress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell if Woodsy's trying to get away or not. <laughs> hey, I feel like you're trying to get away from something. You don't roll over on your back. Yeah. But I've never been a cat, so... Look at, Qu look at Quincy's mouth breathing. Okay, I'm just concerned about all the animals, okay? Let's try to do something. They're fine. Alright. Okay, so... They're back. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, they're gone. <laughs> so, um, Tina received... <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. Tina received that it... <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm fun, idiot. Just because it looks like I'm trembling doesn't mean I'm trembling. Maybe I'm just cold. <laughs> okay, let's try to record something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Um, <laughs> um, Tina went on to receive the NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Actress for her role in the film. Wow. So, yeah. Didn't even know that <laughs> there was a second Mad Max, what quite honestly. What do you see? What is it? Oh yeah. We're about okay. to have to put him back out. <laughs> yeah. Mad Max is like really popular is in it? Australia. Oh, okay. Okay. Even though it stars Mel Gibson. Well. <clears throat> in July of 85, um, Tina performed at Live Aid. Uh -oh. And who did she perform with? Uh -huh. David Bowie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Jagger. And Mick Jagger? No, she didn't perform with David Bowie. I thought you were being sarcastic. Oh, no. <laughs> Just Mick Jagger. Well, she she and David Bowie had a song together. So okay. I no, maybe. No, um, it was it was Mick Jagger, and he ended up, like, ripping her shirt off or something during it. It was, oh. And he went shirtless at one point, because we watched it that one time. Yeah. And we were both like, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. That was, it was like JT trying to do that to Janet Jackson that time at the Super Bowl. Yes. But I don't believe there was a nip slip in this one. Oh. <laughs> um, but in 86, she published her autobiography, I, Tina, which became a bestseller. And that year, she also received her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Nice. So she's really doing the dang thing. Yeah. Um, 
Also in 86, she met German music executive Erwin Bach, who was sent who was sent by her European record label, which was EMI, to greet her at Heathrow Airport. They began dating later that year, and in July of 2013, after a 27-year romantic relationship, they were married in a civil ceremony in Switzerland. I'm not going to try to say the name of the city, because no. <laughs> it would be bad. But, um, so going back to the 80s, that just, I didn't want to come back later. Um, but her break every world... I'm sorry. Her Break Every Rule World Tour, that's a lot. It is. <laughs> began in March of 87, and it had record-breaking sales. In January of 88, she performed in front of a, an, a, a, she performed in front of a crowd that was approximately 180,000 people in um, Rio de Janeiro, and that set a Guinness World Book I can't speak tonight. Guinness Book World Record. I was going to say Guinness World Record. I'm just yeah. so used to Guinness Book going together. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, she set a Guinness World Record at the time for the largest paying concert attendance for a solo artist. Wow. And the tour played to over 4 million fans, and that remains the biggest tour by attendance for a female artist ever. Wow. What year was that? Um, 88. 88. Well, the tour started in 87, but 88 was the biggest crowd. And nice. So, um, so in 1991, Ike and Tina Turner were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. At this point, Ike was incarcerated. Yes. <laughs> and Tina did not attend, stating through her publicist that she was taking a leave of absence following her tour and she felt emotionally unequipped to return to the U.S. and respond to the night of celebration in the manner she would want. So yeah. who do you think accepted the award on their behalf? Phil Spector. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love that. He just keeps popping up in, like, yeah. in so many episodes he pops up. I know. Like, ooh. But he was like one of the most famous record producers. I know, but history, still, so. it's just you hate it. You hate yeah. to see it. <laughs> um, Just like Eric Clapton. Oh, we didn't have to mention him, but, you know. You didn't have to. You did. Here he is. You chose. Because <laughs> he is always everywhere. He is. Um, so, Turner released the dance-infused song, When the Heartache is Over, in September of 99, as the leading single from her 10th and final solo album, 24-7. That tour was the highest-grossing tour of 2000, and it grossed over $120 million. Wow. I'd like to, you know, make that much in a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at a July 2000 concert in Zurich, she announced that she would retire at the end of the year. Well, you know, she finally saved up her retirement. <laughs> I just need, if I can make $120 million in one tour, I'm done. I did it! <laughs> <laughs> that should get me through the rest of this. I can finally afford my two-bed starter home in Los oh. Angeles. <laughs> for real. <laughs> um, so in December of 2005, she was recognized by the Kennedy Center, the Kennedy Center Honors. Why can I not talk tonight? I think I just had a lot of dairy just can, a second ago and I'm yeah, snotty. We can never talk though. It's true. But like I was doing better earlier and yeah. then I just ate cheese dip. Oh, well. You know how it goes. Yeah, I do know how that goes. Um, <laughs> but she made a public comeback in February of 2008 at the Grammy Awards when she performed with Beyonce. Oh, oh. 
I just love how retirement is never really retirement. I know. <laughs> how many times has Elton John gone on his last tour? <laughs> and the price, ticket prices get higher every yeah, single tour. Yeah, they do, because we fall for it every single tour. <laughs> yeah. but Except we didn't fall for it last time, because we couldn't afford to. We, we, we did fall for it. We just couldn't afford to follow through. Yeah. <laughs> There's the difference there. Yeah, a fool and his money are soon parted, and we'd already parted ways. Um, but in october of 08 she embarked on her first tour in nearly 10 years with the tina because it's tina exclamation point 50th anniversary tour yeah so i feel like i need to say it with emphasis (laughs) um in support of the tour though she released another hits compilation which quickly climbed the charts because you know of course and the tour was a huge success and became Another of the best-selling tours of all time. Nice. Yeah. And in 2009, she re-retired from performing. (laughs) (laughs) Because she's moved up to the three-bedroom home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In 2010, mainly due to an online campaign by fans of Rangers Football Club in England. So, soccer here <laughs> just so we're all clear yeah <laughs> um turner's 1989 hit the best returned to the uk singles chart peaking at number nine nice. and that made her the first female recording artist in uk history to score top 40 hits in six consecutive decades from the 60s to the 2010s wow yeah in 2013, she appeared on the cover of the German issue of Vogue magazine at the age of 73, and that made her the oldest person to be featured on the cover of Vogue. Wow. In 2018, she received the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, and her second memoir, My Love Story, was released. And that's the only one available on Kindle. Aww. So, that's the one we read from. <laughs> um. She came out of retirement in July of 2020 to collaborate with Norwegian producer, I'm sorry about this, Kygo, on a remix of What's Love Got to Do With It. And with that release, she became the first artist to have a top 40 hit in seven consecutive decades in the UK. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you go, girl. It's almost like she was like, okay, so it's 2020. I can do this again. Yeah. Let's make it seven. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But she has had some health problems. You know, she's getting older, but... Yeah. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Um, She revealed in her 2018 memoir that she had suffered some life-threatening illnesses. In 2013, three weeks after her wedding um, to Erwin Bach, she suffered a stroke and had to relearn how to walk. Hmm. Um, in 2016, she was diagnosed with intestinal cancer, and because she has, in the past, opted for homeopathic remedies for her high blood pressure, she ended up having kidney damage that resulted in kidney failure. Oh, man. Um, so, her chances of receiving a kidney were, like, super low, and they tried to get her to do dialysis. Yeah. Um, and she considered, at that point, assisted suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, her husband sweetly offered to donate a kidney for her transplant. Wow. And so she had a kidney transplant on April 7th of 2017. Wow. Yeah. So, like, the 2010s were mean to her. They were. But, you know, 
she's had a lot of different awards and honors over the years. I did not prop them all down <laughs> because yeah, it was so much. It would have just been a list of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I did write down the her Grammy honors or awards. Mm-hmm. So she's had a total of 12 Grammys over the years. Wow. Um, that includes eight competitive Grammy awards. So things that weren't just handed to her because she was Tina Turner. Yeah. Um, she holds the record with four awards given for best female rock vocal performances. Three of her recordings are um, in the Grammy Hall of Fame. Wow. And she is the only female artist to win a Grammy in pop, rock, and R&B fields. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that kind of wraps up what, what cool. I did. Cool. Uh, yeah. All right. So, what do you think is Tina Turner's best look? Oh, I didn't even look at her looks. Probably something from, like, the 70s. That was when she wore those fun little dresses, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I like those. <clears throat> I like it when she, I think, wore her own wardrobe in Tommy. Oh, that was nice, too, yeah. Yeah, I like the 70s Tina, because, like, her costumes are fun. <laughs> but I also like the hair on the 80s Tina Turner. I don't I don't care for that hair. It's a little extra for me, which she's extra, so it fits her. Yeah. <laughs> I like how big her hair it was in comparison to how short her dress was. Yeah, well, you know, the bigger the hair, the smaller the gown, right? Yep. That's how it goes. <laughs> That's Mick Jagger's thing. Okay, so that has been the second episode of our Black History Month special. So sorry, it seems like such a mess. Yeah, at I least don't from even here. know if we referenced Black History Month in the first episode. I don't know if we did either. But we did want to do these. Um, and these are by no means the only black artists we're ever going to cover. <laughs> true, 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 true. It's true. just, uh, it was Black History Month, and we thought we've not really covered anybody since Ronnie Spector. Yeah. Of color. Yeah. Um, we should fix that. Well, True. Uh, we also don't really cover females. <laughs> yeah. This is where our second female. If you count Ronnie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ronnie, Kate Bush, and. Yes. Yeah. So three. three. Yeah. We also covered Freddie Mercury, who was of color. Oh, I was like, he's not female. He's not female. <laughs> he wasn't black, but he was a, and a musician of color. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a mighty bark. She says, I can't get up there and stupid. Oh. oh, I'm Hannah. I'm Megan. Good night, everybody. Bye. Middle Name Hercules has been a production of Megan and Hannah, who don't know what they're talking about. Send your hate mail to middlenamehercules at gmail.com. Find information about us at middlenamehercules.com. Stalk us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr. It's been fun, everybody. See you next week.